0: Let's just pray and ask God's blessing first of all. Father, you said in your Son, if I be lifted up from the earth, then I will draw all men unto me. Lord, we pray that as we are before an open heaven tonight, and as you watch us and you see every life that's sitting under this open heaven tonight, Father, in their cars, every person from every walk of life, Lord, you know all about them. You pray, Lord, as we take them to the cross tonight, that they would see a Savior who loves them, and who died for them, and who wants to save them. Go on to speak tonight. Shut us in with yourself. And above all else, glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it all for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. This famous chapter, verse 1, says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he is borne our sorrows and carried our griefs yet we did esteem him smitten stricken of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He is taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We'll stop there and ask that God will add a blessing to his own inspired word. Beloved, tonight if there's one theme that's prevalent from these verses that we've read together, it's that of intense suffering. The pen of the Messianic prophet reveals for us that it was this particular theme that marked the life of our Lord Jesus Christ more than any other. And it's this theme with the help of God the Holy Spirit tonight I would like us to center on, the suffering Savior. What I want to speak about in particular, is the way Christ's sufferings presented themselves. And firstly, I want you to see that Jesus suffered right throughout his life. Verse 3 says he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Beloved, let's not forget that although Christ was God, a very God, he was still a human being with a full range of emotions like every one of us. He felt anger, frustration, joy, just like each of us. He was also stung by harsh words. Our Savior knew mourning in his young life because sometime from the age of 12 to the age of 30, he no doubt watched the man that he grew to love as his earthly father, Joseph, pass away. He knew what it was to comfort a mother and younger siblings as they struggled to come to terms With their grief, being the eldest, he knew the burden of providing for the family. He experienced loneliness. Because let's not forget, although he was in the world, he was not off this world. During his ministry, he's deeply wounded by the behavior of others. He heals, delivers. Giving all that he has by way of his time, his energy and his resources. The scripture says Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and destroying all the works of the devil. And yet, after all of that they say he casts out devils by Beelzebub the prince of devils. I'll tell you something tonight, that must have stung. He goes home to Nazareth, his hometown. He stands up to speak from the prophet Isaiah. That scripture says the spurn of the Lord God is upon me for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so forth. And his own people laugh him to scorn. They say is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the young man who we grew up with and made our furniture? Jesus was right. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and amongst his own kindred. Their mockery soon turns to anger, and their anger turns to rage. He's speaking blasphemy. He says he's our Messiah, but we know him. He couldn't be. And you know what they do? They lead him out, his own people, to the brow of the hill. And we're told that they would have cast him off to his death. But somehow Jesus passes through the very midst of them. That must have stung. He stands bleeding from a beating. And instead of showing him mercy, his own countrymen called for his end, saying, away with such a man. From the earth he's not fit to live. Even his own familiar friend, Judas, and his own companion lifted up his heel against him. While those still loyal to him forsook him and fled. Oh yes, friend, Jesus suffered throughout his whole life. And what's my point? Well, he more than any tonight knows how you feel. I wonder, are you mourning the death of a loved one at the minute? He knows your struggle, friend, and he can bring you comfort tonight. He says, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comfort. I wonder, are you feeling the burden, especially at this time, of providing for the family? He knows what that feels like. He knows the stress of that. He says, come to me. I can help you. I wonder, are you lonely tonight? He knows how that feels. He says, come to me, I'll be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. I wonder if you've been disappointed, degraded, rejected, misunderstood, falsely accused, even let down by others. Oh friend, I want to tell you tonight, he knows better than anyone else what that feels like. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all things tempted as we are, yet without sin. I say this often and I say it again tonight. Do you know what I thank God for? When I'm coming to prayer, I thank God that I have a man in glory. A man who hears me and a man who can identify with me and a man who understands. But listen, he's not just a man, he's the God man. 100% God and 100% man. And he understands tonight. I remember at the beginning of this COVID situation, a friend of mine who's not a Christian, he he, he messaged me through messenger and he said to me, Stuart, he says, I've lost everything. Where is God in the midst of this? And I said to him, God is where he's always been, seated upon the throne in supreme control. But he understood his heart. What he was really trying to say is not where is God, but does God really care? And I was able to tell that man that in the person of Jesus Christ that God has walked this road before him and he feels and he understands all that he's going through. Brothers and sisters and friend, tonight I want to say this, Jesus Christ is not aloof from what you're going through. He can identify with you for he's already been down your road and he says, come to me, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. He suffered in his life. But I want you to see, secondly, Jesus also suffered in his death. Look at verse 7 of our text. It said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her her shears is dumb, yet he opened not his mouth. I want to tell you tonight, friend, no one felt pain like his pain. His pain was twofold. There was the physical pain, And there was also the spiritual pain. Verse 7 says that he was oppressed. Do you know what this means in the original Hebrew? It means to be pressed down hard. And under divine inspiration, is this not an apt description of the Garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane is called the oil press or the Garden of Crushed Olives. You know, I've seen some people um, they paint pictures of Gethsemane. One picture in particular i seen was of the, the young Jesus. And he's kneeling by a rock that night. And the, the moonlight's coming through the gnarled olive trees. And there's a slogan above his head. And everything's so serene. And the slogan is, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus Christ was crushed in that garden. We're told that he took the Passover that night with his disciples. Judas also took the Passover, and then he went out into the night to betray him. And listen to this on the verge of Calvary, he sung a hymn of thanksgiving. Isn't he wonderful? And after he sings a hymn, he goes out the eastern gate down the Kidron Valley. And do you know what amazes me? They would have been slaughtering the lambs in the temple. And as he passed through that Kidron Valley, that little stream, he would have seen the blood of the lambs in the temple, knowing that he was about to be the lamb that would end all lambs. And he goes up onto the Mount of Olives. He goes into that garden, and eight of his disciples were on the periphery, and another three, the three that he was closest with, Peter, James, and John, he takes them that bit further, and here's what he said to them. He says, brethren, my soul is the center of raging sorrows. He felt he was going to die in the garden that night. But I thank God, but we're told, we're told that he, as he often did, he went that little bit further. And for the space of an hour, he begins to pray, Father, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? You know, friend, the medical professionals tell us that when a man is under so much pressure, they're they're inclined to sweat, as it were, blood through their very pores. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ that night. Jesus was crushed in Gethsemane. What are we told after he prayed that prayer? There was no answer from heaven. Only an angel sent to strengthen him. Do you know why? Because there was no other way to pay for your redemption. He had to go all the way to Calvary. He was oppressed. Pushed down, oppressed down hard. And then we're also told in verse 7 that he was afflicted. This means to be bowed down or forced into submission. And again, under divine inspiration, is this not an apt description of the scourging post? Do you know the Jewish law said that a man was to be scourged no more than 39 times, but the Romans, they never held to the Jewish law. They just kept going and going and going. And with the Roman guards looking on that day, they took the clothes from our Lord Jesus. They, They strapped him over a stump about this high. And with his back open to the elements, a man called a lictor comes out. He's a Roman centurion who's trained in the grim art of torture. And he has a thing in his hand called a flagellum, a little baton. And out of that flagellum, there's strips of leather that come. And then there's bone. And there's metal, sharp metal and bone, sewn into the very end of it. And time after time, with our Lord's back open to the elements, this lictor, this man brought this flagellum down upon his back until... His back was like a ploughed field. And you know something tonight? Some people talk about an effeminate Christ. I want to tell you the Lord Jesus was a real man. He took that. Do you know what the Romans called this torture? The halfway death. Many men never made it off the whipping post, but he was strong enough to make it. He was forced into submission. Then we're told, verse 7, he was like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before her shears was dumb, so we opened not his mouth. And again, is this not an apt description of the common hall? I have a friend in Hull who's originally from South Africa, and they call him Sean. His name's Sean, and he liked to go sheep shearing. <laughs> so I used to call him Sean the sheep. <laughs> but Sean, as I'm sitting over dinner, began to tell me about. This sheep shearer and I, I was interested to know how, how it went for him, and, and he said to me, "Steward, he says, when you're trying to get the sheep into place, you grab its four legs, you keep it tied down. He says it will squeal, it will fight you all the way. He says, but you see, once you've got it in place, it's completely silent." And I couldn't help but think about this particular verse and what Christ went through. In the common hall, there was many Roman soldiers. In Jerusalem that day. But again they stripped our Lord of his robes. There's a man. No doubt a soldier outside. Who plotted together a crown of thorns. Let me put you in the picture. The Jerusalem thorn wasn't one inch long like our thorns. It was four inches long. They got a crown of them. And they pressed it down into his lovely brow. They put a reed in his hand. And they began to mock him playing the king game, said, prophesy unto us the Christ. Who is it that's striking you? And you know, through all of it, you can imagine what they leveled at him. And yet 1 Peter 2, 23 says this, being reviled, he reviled not again. The Savior suffered all of this physical and mental abuse, and through it all, he stood silent. And I think that's amazing. And I'll tell you why, because the night before, He said to Peter to put his sword away because he could presently at that time call for 12 legions of angels. Pastor McConnell's uh, uh, calculations, how many angels that is, 72,000 angels at his disposal. Now let me put you in the picture. In the Old Testament when the Assyrians came against Jerusalem, the Lord sent out one angel and wiped out 185,000 people. When the death angel, one angel come through Egypt, all the firstborn were slain. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels would have done? They wouldn't have stood a chance, those Roman cohorts. But yet he never called for them, friend. Why? Because he knew he had to go all the way to Calvary for me and for you. We must never forget. That it was upon the cross where Christ's passions reached their climax. It was there where his body was pushed to its limits. Death by crucifixion was then and still is the most horrible form of execution ever devised by man. Those in the early church reading Matthew's words and they crucified him would have grasped the full extent of what that meant. Please listen for a moment to an American professor describing the pain the victims experienced during this form of death. He says, and I quote, adequate exhalation required the lifting of the body by pushing up the feet and by lifting the elbows, however, this manoeuvre would place the entire weight of the body on the tarsals and would produce searing pain. Furthermore, flexation of the elbows would cause rotation of the wrists about the iron nails and cause fiery pain on the damaged medium nerve, cramps. Paratheses of the outstretched and uplifted arms would add to the discomfort. And as a result, each respiratory effort would become agonizing and eventually lead to suffocation. You know, friend, in some cases, the victims were known to survive for several days before succumbing to suffocation. And that's why John says in chapter 19, verses 31 to 33, he says that because the Jewish Sabbath day was approaching, they broke the legs of either side of the victims next to Jesus. But yet when it came to Jesus, he'd already given up the ghost, fulfilling the very scripture that not a bone of his should be broken. Now, I'm well aware that these details are terrible to listen to. But friend, tonight I want you to know the full extent of what Jesus Christ went through On your behalf. Is it any wonder the night before in the garden. He was praying father if there is any other way. Would you let this cup pass from me. Yet friend. His passions don't end there. For he suffered not only physically. But he suffered spiritually. Not only the pain of the cross. But the pain of burying my sin. And your sin. Verse 6 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. And turn every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8 says for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Verse 11 says he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12 says he made intercession for the transgressors. He was made a propitiation. The object to bear away God's wrath towards sin and the sinner. Think about this tonight friend. The one who was spotless undefiled, separate from sinners, that day at Calvary took upon himself the sins of his people. Every vile thought, every evil deed that we have ever committed was thrust upon his sinless shoulders, and he carried them all the way to the cross. This is hard to comprehend. And I'll tell you why. Because the writer of the Hebrews says that the blood of animals, the blood of bulls, the blood of goats, could never have taken away sins. Someone say to me, well, Stuart, how is it in the Old Testament that when they were bringing that animal to the tabernacle in the wilderness or to the temple, that they were being forgiven as they slew the animal? Well, I'll tell you what was happening, friend. They were bringing the animal and they were going away justified after the animal was slaughtered, but there was no remission of sins at that particular time. What he was doing was, what, what the Lord was doing was, he was storing the sin up in an account. The animal was being slain. They could never forgive sins. The, 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 the person was walking away justified. But the Lord was storing up all the sins of humanity. And then at that day of Calvary, he took the sins past. He took the sins present and he took the sins future. All were heaped upon the Lamb of God. One can only imagine how this crushed him. It's no wonder John the Baptist seeing the young Jesus on the banks of the Jordan cried out and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The hymn writer put it just right when he says there was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. He and he alone could open heaven's gate and let us sin. what a saviour tonight. I'm closing, but I want you to see there's one more way in which the Savior suffered. And I feel for him it was the greatest pain of all. It was the pain of abandonment. Abandonment. Matthew 27, 35 and 36 says that there was darkness over the whole land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There was darkness. The sun refuses to shine out of reverence for its creator. The scoffers that have been at the cross that morning, they've all thinned out and they've went home. You remember, they were mocking him, saying, if you're the Christ, come down off the cross and we'll believe you. Luke, he said he would destroy the temple in three days and raise it up again, not understanding that he was talking about the temple of his body. They've mocked him. They've went home to prepare for the Sabbath. Those that were passing by into Jerusalem, they've also mocked him, but they've all the city. There's only a few lonely um, figures at the cross. Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, John the beloved disciple, a few others still loyal to him, and the centurions. When out of the darkness comes a cry from the Lord Jesus, which is this, Eli, Eli Lamas the Batchenai, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Up until this point. The Lord Jesus more times than not always addressed God as his Father. But it's different now. He says, my God, my God, fulfilling Psalm 22. It's as if he cries in his humanity, Father, where are you? I need you. I can bear the torment. I can bear their sin, but this estrangement is too much for me. And friends, something terribly awesome took place for the first and the only time in all of eternity. That loving fellowship in some way between the Father and the Son was broken down. Theologians have wondered at this. The great reformer Martin Luther says, How is it that God can forsake God and yet somehow it happened? It happened because of a twofold reason, as I pointed out. When the father looked at the cross, he no longer seen his son. He seen the curse. My sin and your sin heaped upon the Lamb of God. But I believe another sanctified reason, I'm using my own imagination here, that the father couldn't look at that cross is because he couldn't bear to watch what his son was going through. Two times he testified of his son saying, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. That word beloved means he's my dear son. He means everything to me. He's precious to me. He's sinless. You know we're centering on the. The passions or the sufferings of Christ tonight. But have you ever stopped. To think how heaven viewed the cross. How the father felt as he was offering up his own son. On our behalf. When I think about this as I close. My mind goes to Luke chapter 2. When Joseph and Mary brought the young Christ to the temple The a man called Simeon. Simeon had been promised that he would not depart from this world until his eyes had seen the Lord's Christ. And when they brought the young child in, he took him in his arms and he says, Lord, now I can depart in peace for mine. I have seen your salvation for the ends of the earth. But he begins to prophesy to Joseph and Mary, and he says, This young child is set for the rising and fall of many in Israel. Many hearts will be revealed through his ministry. But he says this to Mary he says, Know this, that a sword will pass through your soul. And you know, friend, Mary's done a great disservice, hasn't she, by the Catholic Church? She's done a great disservice, but let's not forget tonight that woman was a believer. That woman was faithful. That woman loved him like any mother with her son when he would hurt himself on those Nazareth hills. She would have been the one to to cradle him. She would have been the one to bind up his wounds. She loved him. And here's what I want to say. No doubt as she stood by that cross that day, no doubt a sword passed through her soul. But here's the thought. If one sword passed through Mary, how many swords passed through the Father? All I know is this, friend, it cost the Father everything to pay for our redemption. And the hymn writer put it lovely as I close. He says, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. And this is for all of us tonight, bring many sons and daughters to glory. Hallelujah. Friend, tonight the Savior suffered, but no one else ever suffered. There was more to the the passions than meets the eye. He didn't just suffer physically. He suffered emotionally, and he suffered spiritually. And listen to verse 5 as I close. Why did he do it, Stuart? He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we have been healed. I'm finished tonight. I'm going to hand it over to the pastor. But I want to ask you a question as you sit in your car. What do you think of Jesus Christ? I tell you, he's a wonderful savior. 3rd of September, 1995. Sitting in the balcony of the Whitewell Church, I heard about what he'd done for me. And I said, and I say this as part of my testimony, I said that night, like the great cricketer C.T. Stud who gave away a fortune to go onto the mission field, I said as I looked at the cross and seen what he suffered, not only in life, but in his death, I said if Jesus Christ is God and would die and suffer for me, there's no sacrifice too great that I can make for him. Friend, as I finish, young man, young woman, sir, lady, what are you living for? I tell you what, if it's not for Jesus Christ, it's not worth it. I pray that you would surrender to him tonight. I pray that you would come to him because as you look at that cross, you see a God who's willing to give his everything for you. This is the gospel message. All I've wanted to do tonight is show you the Savior. And I trust that you've enjoyed this message tonight. And may God speak to you and may God bless his word to each of our hearts. Let me just pray. Father, I hand it back to the pastor now, I pray that you would continue to speak to hearts. I pray, Lord God, if there's someone that has heard about the love of Jesus Christ and what he went through tonight, and it's really spoken to them, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them, I pray, O God, that you would draw them to yourself, whom to know is life eternal. Father, answer prayer tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, even when my voice falls silent tonight, even when people are going home, I pray, Lord God, even as I put their head in their pillow, if they're not right with God, they would think upon this Jesus who loved them and gave himself for them. Answer prayer. We ask this for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Pastor, thank you.